This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 55. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management, and of course, Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. What's going on, gentlemen? Rich? I'm in Porto. I'm a traveler. Do you guys remember the show Carmen Sandiego, or Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, where these kids have to decide where they are in a map and they've getting clues. That's me. I'm bouncing around. I'm in Porto, in, which is in the north of Portugal. It's an absolutely beautiful town if you've never been here. It, uh, it straddles the river, the Douro River. Uh, Keith, you love red wine. Your wife loves red wine. You guys are familiar with the Douro Valley. So Porto is at the sort of the, the mouth of the Douro River, which is the, sort of the end of the Douro Valley. And we're just having a great time. It's raining a bit, but it's honestly the nicest city in Portugal. Much nicer than Lisbon. Don't tell my cousin I said that. Um, and I'm just having a good time. And I took time out from the bub to come and hang out with you guys and chat shit about the euro and the dollar and China. And so that's where I'm at. What about you, Keith? Rich is half cut. You just there to party or what? <laughs> yeah, just here to party and do the, the Looney Hour podcast, the most important part of my week. Of course, I would, wouldn't dare miss it. Um, I'm going to... It's funny for Steve and I, you know, it's Thursday, of course, and you know, for Rich, it's Saturday already. <laughs> Holy smoke! Yeah, Keith, Holy what's smokes. going on, buddy? Well, I'm, 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 I'm struggling actually to tell you the truth here. Um, you know, I, I have to eat a Twinkie today. Because we'll talk about that, and um, I think Mrs. Either Mrs. Icecap ate the rest of the, the last Twinkie, or maybe I ate it. I just didn't refresh it, but I don't have a Twinkie, but I have something else. <gasps> oh man, this is a, this is a party foul. I have a cake. Yeah. I party have a, foul. Have a cake. You know, it's, it's a, uh, okay, buddy. Starbucks, like primo. <laughs> it's a lemon loaf. It was like $8 and 50 cents or something. Uh, I think that sounds awful. I know. I know. Yeah. That doesn't but, count. Uh, we'll, we'll hold you to it next week. Actually, I go to the same coffee shop all the time and they always, they always comp me, uh, all the patisseries so i love it of course but mrs ice cap sees me getting like a little bit a little bit bigger how do you get that comp week. jesus no no yeah yeah inflation's definitely you just got some kid you. fired by the way 
<laughs> no, it's just called being nice to people. You, you chat with them all the time and you get to know people. It's a beautiful world. Does Mrs. Icecap nice. know that you flirt with the barista at the local uh, Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut, she cut. Uh, she's she's in on that one. Cut, rewind, edit. There we go. Um, but uh, yeah, lots uh, lots going on here. So we, we'll we'll hold Keith to a proper uh, Twinkie in the next episode here. I'm not accepting this lemon loaf garbage. Um, but uh, yeah, Bank of Canada st- to start things off here. Raising rates 50 basis points, right? So uh, Rich and I had 50. Um, the market was expecting 75, right? So the market was pricing in the expectations were 75. So it was definitely a little bit on the surprise. Um, I, I mean, it's funny because like, I'm kind of curious your guys' thoughts, which is everyone was like, oh, this is like, maybe this is like the start of like the pivot. This we're getting, we're like near the end. This was like a dovish rate hike fit only 50 basis points. It's like, I think like when you actually like zoom out in context, like 50 basis points is still like an oversized rate hike. Like 50 is not normal. I mean, it's still a big move, uh, but yes, it was certainly below expectation. So I don't know. How are you, do you guys, you know, do you have any takeaway on that? Rich, Keith, either you want to chime in there? Yeah, sure. I'll go for it. I mean, I, I just I think we were very critical of central banks all the time. I think we've may may or may not have made our loony hour career on it. Uh, but, you know, I think it's important that they see the tea leaves, see what's going on. Obviously, the housing market is an important part of Canadians, Canada's economy, right or wrong, like it or hate it. If that's them, them, them's the fact. And I think it's also important to recognize what we talked about last week and a couple of weeks before that, which is some of the key inflation data that we're seeing has stopped rising. So something I've been very critical of the Bank of Canada is ignoring the preferred measures of core inflation based on factor model, GDP model, and I, the trimmed mean model. And those have rolled over. They've stopped rising. They've actually started to come off in a bit. And so the fact that they've slowed the pace, again, as you pointed out, Steve, correctly, 50 is still a significant number. It's outsized of the normal 25 basis point increase. So for them to, again, not slow down their rate, oh, sorry, excuse me, not, not, not cut, but to slow down their rate hikes, I think is appropriate given the data, given Keith's you know ongoing accurate point about recessions given my point about the slowing inflation it seems okay that they're just slowing the pace of their rate hike so god help me i actually think it was the right call i guess i'm getting soft in my traveling days what can i say the youtube comments will have a couple opinions for you (laughs) keith okay so let's let's i'm gonna bring you guys back to reality okay you guys are you guys are starting to move to that fantasy economic yes. fantasy land i know rich is there full-time and everything like one of those uh phd professors <laughs> but there's a couple of things going there. so by the way guys like this this lemon loaf that i'm eating it is it is nice but i don't like the uh the the, the icing the white icing uh, that is the best ribbon. part by the way i take it off i don't i don't like it so um i i now go back and take that. your free uh lemon loaf back why don't you ask for a refund <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh I, I do like it uh i got a couple of croissants as well sometimes they're nice and i don't like the cake pops you know they put like a little cake on a lollipop stick i don't like those but 
let's go back to the uh, Bank of Canada here, guys. I, I disagree with both you guys. I, I think both you guys are loony hour people now. That, that's, that's crazy. Um, so for starters, uh, I don't know where to go here. So many different things. Um, it, it literally was a shocker yesterday. And just remind everyone, central banks is, and the Fed is really good at it. They always guide commercial banks, whether the commercial bank is correctly positioning for a, a big change in overnight rates because it affects how banks are positioned on, on so many parts of their book. So in the US, for example, because um, they can see how banks are positioned for things all the time. And if they discover one of the big, just say JP Morgan is, is off base with what's happened, like they'll say, hey, you, you're stretching out, you're, you're a bit too far. So when I commented on the Bank of Canada uh, doing 50 instead of 75 as being a shocker, it, it literally was, the whole street was saying, what the heck, like you're, you're guiding us to this position. They even came out with a, uh, a video basically warning everyone that, hey, we're hitting for some hard times, but it's gonna be worth it. We have to crush inflation and, and all that stuff going on. So um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying my lemon loaf. And um, however, it, it wasn't the right move from what they did because they told us they're doing something else. The next part about this, um, do you guys see what happened the day before out of Ottawa or two days before? Uh, something to do with the arrive can app. No. Well, oh, Jagmeet. Jagmeet yeah, Singh. You're your your buddy out there out west. My good buddy uh, Jagmeet. Yeah. What I happened? Mean, he well, he sent a very sternly worded letter to his good friend uh no, no, well, to uh our prime minister telling them to tell the Bank of Canada they have to stop raising rates. Oh, yeah. funny yeah. that. I thought we were just over-criticizing uh, our double P about how the Bank of Canada should remain independent. And all of a sudden, this boy is interesting. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, so, uh, you, know, did, did, you know, did the Bank of Canada bend the knee? I, I don't know. I doubt if they're bending the knee to the guys with the orange shirts. But um, by the time you get a, a letter from, you know, leader, one of the big three parties, as presented in the open, that just doesn't happen overnight. Like there's a long build up to that. So there's been a series of, you know, phone calls, meetings, you, you name it. Like the pressure on the Bank of Canada to stop this path where they're going, um, it, it's incredibly strong. And it's again, it's irrelevant whether uh, someone they agree or disagree with it. Central banks in the Western world, anyway, they're, they're supposed to be independent. And they're supposed to act, you know, independent based on political pressure. But both sides now up here in Canada, as well as with the Americans and, and even the Europeans as well, is down that path. But the bottom line here with the Bank of Canada, I, I think they gained a lot of credibility. And then they lost it all yesterday. I don't know how they recovered from it now. And I know I you're, letting that, you're letting that you're letting that icing sugar go to your head. I didn't eat it. I don't. Th I, I don't think they. I don't think they have credibility at all. I didn't think they gained any credibility. They had none to lose. <laughs> well, you yeah. gain credibility when you're transparent. You say, "Hey, we're going to do this," and then you do it. Because remember when they first started the hiking cycle? They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. And then they didn't do it. They said, "Well, I want to wait one more meeting." And everyone's like, "What the heck? You just told us you're going to hike." 
And then finally they got going and all of a sudden they went, boom, a hundred. They're like, geez, guys, like slow down. What, what's going on? So, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're flipping and flopping all, all over the, uh, you know, all over the wharf there right now. And, um, you know, I, I do think uh, it's creating a lot of, uh, um, you know, chaos and confusion that that's coming up here in, in the economy. And Hanvir, we trust. Hmm. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but uh, that was the we were talking about it last episode. So Han Veer is the I think that's how you say his name. He's the guy that was started the uh, the protests for homeowners against the Bank right. of Canada rate hikes. Uh, so there's a lot of Twitter memes going viral right now that uh, Han Veer is a is a is a Canadian icon, a national hero. Uh, he prevented the Bank of Canada from raising rates 75 basis points with his homeowner protests. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just to put things into context, right? Like we're still up on the year, we're up 350 basis points year to date on rate hikes. You know, remember, I mean, it's funny, like, you know, the, remember the beginning of the year, Scotia came out with like the aggressive rate call and they had rates going up, you know, as much as 200 basis points for the year. Right. So like the reality is like, we're probably going to finish like, you know, up 400 basis points to finish the year, whatever. So like even Scotia missed it by, you know, essentially double. Uh, so to be fair to them, we were, we were mocking them quite mercilessly. Oh. Yeah. We had, we have some, we have some, some egg on our face on that one for sure. For sure. And I, Oh, I mean, we've already, I have some our... icing sugar, you know, the, the, the ribbon <laughs> thing. We, yeah, so, I think we, I think we already admitted our, our faults on that one, but I mean, I think like the, these markets, so like, it's just funny, like you know, you go on the YouTube or the Twitter comments, and everybody seems to have it figured out. But like these macro markets, which is what this podcast is all about, like is the volatility right now. You know, if you haven't had a wrong call this year, like you're full of shit. Um, great. These these markets are making fools out of a lot of people. Um, so you know, it's, it's, it is quite fascinating, you know, like I said, up 350 basis points year to date. What Keith, what are the, um, what's the, what's the old bloom tubes there? What are they telling you for what's the now expected rate hike path for the bank of Canada over the next sort of six months here? Like what's well, first of, first of all, they're telling me I need to pay my quarterly invoice. So that should be paid soon. <laughs> uh, dipping out but- of the loony hour funds. Yeah. Also, yeah, Keith a... pays for the live prices, so it's an extra special uh, premium there. I, I'm I'm still 15 minutes behind everybody. I can get live uh, like hog prices in in Chicago. Um, so right now they're, they're now the and again you don't know where to do this anymore because um, the the financial market instrument now they're they're pricing that the Bank of Canada will will peak at four and a quarter, and and that will be achieved in in Q1. So another, you know, 50 basis points. Now, remember three days ago, it was at four and a half. And, um, but that, that was my point though, because if, if you want to hedge any kind of like overnight interest rate exposure you have, you use the Canadian bankers acceptance contract or, or the backs that we call it. And, um, you know, that, that is a very powerful instrument for Canadian financial institutions, as well as large institutional investors and, and you know you're able to, to do different things with it but that was pricing in you know 75 basis points yesterday and like you know i can never just like that rich uh you know that got tipped over yesterday 
So anyway, right now it's saying, hey, no, they're 50 basis points. And, you know, do they do that, uh, you know, for the December 7th meeting? Do one more, like 50 and they're done or? 25 and done. <clears throat> I mean, we, we don't. Right now they're suggesting it's going to be two 25s. Actually, so we'll see. We'll see. Some interesting. Interesting commentary there. I, I don't know if you, I watched the press conference there. Um, you know, so of course he says, you know, Hey, like we're not done yet. Don't consider this a pivot kind of thing. Um, so he says, you know, they still got a little bit of work to go, but they're definitely towards the end. I think what was interesting is they actually flagged um, financial stability concerns, which I, I found quite, quite interesting. Right. I mean, so they're, they're obviously looking at what's happening in, 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 in various, you know, markets around the world, and citing financial stability as, as a concern. I think that's probably why they didn't go seven. They went 50 instead of 75. That's, that's a really good point, Steve. Uh, I, I didn't pick up on that until you just, you just mentioned it. And because um, remember they have access to information, you know, everyone else doesn't. So maybe, you know, they are, you know, taking off it. By the way, I do interpret it as a pivot, you know, because the pivot in, in the investment world, it's, it's versus expectations. And now, because remember, a pivot is not, no central bank is going to go from hiking rates to cutting rates. That doesn't happen. You, you continue your path and then you pause, whether it's up or down. And in the US, uh, normally a pause is eight months. That's what it is on average. Could be shorter or longer, of course. Um, but I think, so now you have the Bank of Canada has pivoted. You've had the, the Aussies. They, you know, and again, this is my definition of the pivot, guys. So, but... You know, they raised hikes by less than what was expected. And we'll, we'll jump into uh, the Europeans this morning. They came out and, and they basically did the same thing as well, which is then, which is then um, leading, you know, we have the Americans coming out next week. You know, everyone's thinking, hey, maybe they're next. Maybe it's the long line of, you know, the throne. So I want to get your thoughts after that. I got a couple of things I want to chime in and Rich, I'll let you get in here in a sec. Um, yeah, I want to circle back on your thoughts on, on the Canadian dollar. Cause people are saying, Oh my God, the Canadian dollar is, you know, going to get killed here. Like they, they, they pivoted too soon. Thanks a lot. You're going to bring in more inflation. So I want to get your thoughts on that in a sec, but Rich, feel free to chime in here. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, isn't this also an indictment of the way that we understand market interest rate based expectations? So just so everyone understands when we look at, so Keith's right. Messaging is important. I'm never going to deny that. Keith makes a very good and often, and he repeats it like an old man should, um, talks about how when you when you when a central bank sets out a path, they need to stay on that path. And credibility comes from forward guidance and then meeting those expectations and then being clear about whether you're going up or down. But I also think what we forget, and I think it's important our listeners understand, is when we look at the banker's acceptance contract or the Fed funds rate or the forward overnight index swaps, which is another instrument, or whether it's in Europe, and I can't remember the name of that particular contract, these are market expectations. These are market-based expectations. They're priced. And so what does that mean for people who don't understand is it's just bets. It's bets as in, in the same way that it's bets on a particular stock. You think when you buy a Nike stock, you think that the mark, you think that you're going to have a greater fool. You think that in the future that you're going to be able to sell it for a different price. It is the future value of, for, of cash flows discounted to a particular price. And that's what you're willing to pay for it. And the aggregation of everyone's view on a particular 
um, instrument is the price that the market is willing to bear. That's the same is true for bankers acceptance notes, for Fed funds rate, for forward inter- overnight index swaps. And so on some, I just want to say like, it's also an, in, yes, they kind of, they kind of screwed with the market. They screwed with people's expectations, but it, you know, it happens at, at the inflection points because at the beginning of the rate hike cycle, nobody was expecting any type of rate hikes whatsoever, as Keith alluded to earlier. And those market expectations were wrong. And I, I just think, you know, I can't believe I'm going to agree with, with Keith in the sense that it's going to be, it is a pivot in the sense that you're wrong footing the market on the way up, which is one pivot. And now you're wrong footing the market on the way down. But it's also important to recognize that market expectations, market pricing of future events is often wrong. And so we can't, although it's important to look at them and the chart that we'll share on our YouTube video will be of forward overnight index swaps. Sometimes people just get it wrong. The market gets it wrong because they don't anticipate and they don't accept the data as it comes. And I think that's also important so we understand, or as listeners and as investors, we understand that the market's not always right about these things, you know, and we have to be sort of accepting of those kind of changes. Keith doesn't so, like what uh, I have oh, to say. Keith's pissed. Get <laughs> no. in there, buddy. Well, I just finished my lemon loaf. Now I'm, I'm able to talk again. Uh, Steve, how did did anything change on, on your desk from yesterday's that was, that was my interest rate move? On the housing front? Yeah. Uh, not really, no. I mean, uh, we we actually managed to jam a bunch of deals through before the rate hike, so that was... That was nice because I think like that's what you're looking for, right? Is these deals that get tied up with subject conditions. And then you're like, oh, subject removal is on the 27th of October, a day after the rate hike. Oh, man, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, So, yeah, definitely. uh, You know, I think anecdotally, we definitely heard of obviously deals collapsing and stuff. Um, But, yeah, I don't know if you guys want me to just quickly chime in on like some of the uh, some of the uh, the mortgage side of things. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious. So I think uh, I think our buddy Han Veer there had a point, which is, um, you know, I think these rate hikes are 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 actually are going to crush a lot of people, um, right or right or wrong. Um, there's obviously a lot of people that are hoping for a quote unquote rebalancing in the housing market. But if you look at, let's say you had a five hundred thousand dollar variable rate mortgage uh, with a thirty year amortization. So I think again, I think if you put things into context, a five hundred thousand dollar variable rate mortgage with your national house price in Canada, national house price is about eight hundred thousand dollars. So uh, I mean, a five hundred k mortgage is, is very, very sensible. I would say in 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 reality in today's market. So in February of twenty twenty two. Uh, just before the rate hike started, your your typical your monthly payment on your variable mortgage would be about seventeen hundred dollars. Uh, your November twenty twenty two payment will be twenty seven hundred dollars. So if you took out a five hundred thousand dollar variable rate mortgage, you floated it. Um, after all of these rate hikes, your monthly payment has increased a thousand dollars. So I mean, it's pretty big. Now you you take that same math. And you run it in some of these more expensive markets like Vancouver and Toronto, um, where, you know, again, prices are well north of a million dollars, that it's very, very common, I would say, for young families, um, people, you know, professionals uh, in their 40s, 50s, to have a million dollar mortgage, very, very common. Um, you know, if you floated that, your payment would be up about $2,100, $2,200 per month from the beginning of this year. So you would be looking at, um, 
you know, on a million dollars today, you're, you're sitting at about 55, 5,600 bucks a month. And that would have been around, that would have been around 36, um, earlier this year. So again, huge moves. Um, and I think this is why central banks say, Hey, you know, it takes about a year on average for, for rate interest rate increases to filter through the real economy, because what happens, right. It's like, okay, your monthly payments up a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks a month. You know, you start scraping everything you can together to pay that monthly mortgage and you just start cutting everywhere else. And it takes time for that to like filter through into other businesses and the real economy. Can I ask you a quick question? So if you, if let's just say right now they stopped. So the main policy rate is the overnight target rate, whatever you call it, is 375. If they stopped right now, do you still think there would be significant negatives to the housing market in aggregate in Toronto and Vancouver? Like, do you think we still have, if they stopped right now, do you still think we'd feel a lot of pain going forward? Yes, for sure. Yeah, the rate the rates are the rates are too high. Um, it just it is. People are getting all upset. Oh, you know, mortgage rates at five percent are are not too high. It's like okay, fine, but like the asset has been priced at mortgage rates of one and a half to two and a half percent, and now you're at you know you're you've doubled that. So it's going to take time to adjust. I see that more being like if you were to say this is me taking an educated guess. If rates just stopped here. I think the housing market can it would just be very sluggish for probably the next, you know, 18 to 24 months. Prices would slowly adjust. Um, I think you'd have you'd you'd have a lot of the issues that are underlying that would con- that would continue to build which is people on these one-year bullet loans through private lenders, through alternative lenders that have to go and renew um, your five-year typical mortgage, right? Like your typical mortgage about five years ago, that's renewing, you know, you, you would have taken out a five-year fixed about five years ago, you would have been around 3%. Um, so you'd be renewing today at, you know, five and a half, like that, that's a big jump in your payment. Right. So like, I just think like we would have probably very slow growth, weak housing, I think with, with rates that they just stopped where they are. Um, to that point, uh, I'm just going to quickly touch on this and then we'll switch gears here. Uh, but I wanted to point out a couple of interesting things because people say, oh, you know, the housing market, you know, it is what it is. Um, so in, this is from my, from my good buddy, Ben Rabideau. In the greater Toronto area, uh, a metro region of nearly 6 million people, there were a total of 45, yes, four, five, 45 new single family homes sold by developers last month. Um, in a, so it's uh, 45 it homes in 45. one month for that in one of the million. largest metropolitan areas in all of North America. Toronto, <laughs> yeah. So, Toronto new single family home sales dropped 96% year over year in September. Uh, new condo sales down 89% year over year. And this is from uh, Data is from Build and Altus Group, which are two very, very respected firms in the industry. Uh, Altus Group is actually publicly traded, uh, so you know the data. The data is pretty good. It's it's accurate data. So that's your largest uh, metro housing market in Canada. New construction is getting absolutely pummeled, and actually some good data here uh, from Zonda, which is another massive uh, data collection source for new for new homes uh, in Vancouver. Uh, so in the third quarter, 
Q3 of 2022 in, in Greater Vancouver, there were 1,522 pre-sale condo and townhome transactions. That was down 72% uh, from the same period last year. So the reality is, is that the damage that has been done from these rate hikes is, I don't still don't think has actually filtered through to the real economy. Um, projects are being canceled. Prices are being decreased. People will begin to get laid off in the, in the construction industry. It's starting to happen. Um, hopefully that brings down some, some of the costs, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that the, the concerns, I know people get all upset about it, but I think, I think people are maybe a little bit naive to the implications of, I think there's going to be some, I think there's going to be some, some damaging effects are going to be with us for, for a couple of years. Uh, you know, some folks might get hurt. Yeah. Of Which course. Again, part, part of the cycle, part of the I, cycle. By the way, when I say folks, I'm, I'm, you know, referencing someone who's used that term all the time. Um, but let's just, stay on the same track here for the Canadian economy. Uh, so now we know that not everyone, but some mortgage owners have higher payments coming up because most people were at, at fixed rates and stuff like that. And Steve, you did, you did mention that you know, layoffs are happening in the construction world. I, I, I'm not t- close to that world. I don't yeah. see it myself, but is it happening? I'm yeah, not seeing just losses where yeah. I am yet. Are you seeing anything where you are? So here's what happens. The big boys they just pause. So you got a lot of these big developers that have been around for 40, 50 years. They just hit pause. They go, you know what? I got, I was going to launch, I was going to launch pre-sales of this 50 story high rise concrete condo building. And you know, I don't like the market. I think it stinks and I don't want to sell into this market. I don't even want to, you know, it's not worth the headache, the stress. And you know, so they just pause and they'll, they'll, these guys will sit on their, that piece of dirt for four five, six, eight years and the way for the market to come back. Um, now you get these other smaller, smaller to mid-sized guys, uh, that don't have quite the, the financial depth and they will have to, they'll, they'll have to try to push through and go out of business. Yeah. They'll, they'll basically, they'll end up going out of business. They'll have, cause they have to push through. A lot of them are relying on private money. Uh, they've raised capital from, you know, more retail investors, uh, stuff like that ilk where they don't have they can't sit on dirt for five years so they are forced to push through and and those i think are the ones that ultimately will probably you know some of them will end up into receivership they won't they won't make it but the reality is is like even like when the big boys start hitting pause right like that's just contractors and tradespeople that aren't keeping occupied with with new work so it hasn't then yet spread anywhere else in the economy, correct? That's that's my interpretation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose I'd say that. I think like we're certainly going to see. I mean, I mean, maybe you guys know better than I do, but let's watch Canadian retail sales, right? Like, I think. Um, no, I say that because I know. What I mean, we're riches now. Like, no one ever works. Everyone's always on their at the cafe. But over here in the real world, where we have economics all the time. Because uh, and you know one of the interesting takeaways, <laughs> I love such Rich by the way. You're such uh, a prick. No, no. Uh, but you know one of the takeaways from the the Bank of Canada presser was that you know they are now they're they're now stating that they are expecting a, a um, what were the words for you a mild recession 
coming up. So remember, before there was no recession was coming. Then it was like, hey, maybe it might happen. And then you know, some of the big banks said, yeah, we're we're now going to have a recession. It's going to be a soft landing. Finally, the last guys to admit it is now the Bank of Canada. And um, so my my the concern that we should have is that. Once that happens, so everyone now all of a sudden they have to pay an extra thousand, two thousand a month, whatever, on, on their those that were affected by rising rates for their mortgages. If suddenly now the economy does decline, and say people trying to carry those mortgages, um, you know they, they they don't get a bonus or a smaller bonus and so forth, that this it, it has the opportunity to roll over into what I expect will be a hard landing. That's where we are. So now you know with with the Bank of Canada, you know unofficially pivoting um you know of course that means next month you'll hike by 75 again right just to screw around with the loony hour but sounds like sour grapes there (laughs) (laughs) i like the lemon loaf um but i I think though that's where we are now like they're, they're obviously they're they're now able to see themselves that we could you know trip up here that's where the potential is and of course i think this ties over with with europe which we um we will have to go into, into next because they you know the ecb were out this morning as well but rich did you have another comment though on the canadian well, economy? Just on the last just last thing on the canadian thing i mean some you know every every week every week hopefully we're gaining newer uh listeners people who haven't heard us before so forgive me if i'm repeating something we've talked about before but you know a year ago i shared a chart that i thought was really important which is residential investment as a share of gdp so in in my world in the in the nerd world you have gross fixed capital formation so what how much of your gdp you're allocating to building capital projects or capex and you can do operational capex you can do non-residential capex think of uh, equipment or manufacturing you can do residential capex which is residential where people live and then we we we, you know at the time when our 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 dear leader tiff macklin was telling everybody to go and borrow you know residential capex as a percentage of gdp was already extremely high and the warning that we made on this podcast, whether it was on Twitter or whether, frankly, it was in private discussions, was, listen, whenever you get to these certain levels, and you, it is basically virtually impossible, not impossible, but virtually impossible to unwind that kind of overinvestment without pain. And, 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 and not to sound, not to say I told you so, but my goodness, I told you so. Like, you just cannot do it. So just to remember, Canada's residential CapEx is a share of GDP peaked at like a 10.5% of GDP. And, and to remind everybody, Ireland, Spain, the US, they peaked out at, you know, 12, 11 and a half and, and seven in respectively. And I think that this is just the reality that I think Canadians need to come to terms with. And it's a shitty message to give on what should be a fun and entertaining and informative podcast. But the reality is, is when you're spending that kind of, you know, when you're spending that kind of that much of your productive capacity on what is ultimately, sorry, Steve, I always say this, a non-productive asset, when you have the unwind, when you have that number start to fall, as you as it did in the U.S., as it did in Ireland, as it did in Spain, it's it's almost impossible to hide from those negative effects, and that's why Tiff Macklin, frankly, should bow out gracefully, but it you know deserves a lot of uh, let's just say a, 
listen, if you don't have anything nice to say to somebody, you shouldn't say it. I'm just saying it, it's this is why it's very, very hard as we go forward. If, if that unwind is, is going to be very painful for people and, and it's 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 tough to admit, it's tough to, to talk about because there's a real people and real lives on the line, real jobs on the line, real savings on the line. But you just you, there's virtually no way that Canada can escape the laws of gravity. And I don't no other country did. I don't think can, Canada can, even though it has an incredible population growth. And it's something that we should all sort of, whether it's you, me, Steve, or whatever, we should all sort of be quite cognizant of. And sorry, that's my last piece on the Canadian. We can move to Europe. No, oh, the, uh, no it's a good, good, good way to I got one last question here. Uh, maybe this is for Keith, but because we actually had a lot, I had a lot of commentary on this on Twitter and, you know, just reading the the overall sentiment in the room. Um there was a lot of discussion post rate hike. Okay. 50 basis points. These guys are not serious about fighting inflation. Oh my God. We are rates are still too low. I got, I, I personally disagree uh, just because I'm looking at the housing data and saying this is a train wreck. Um, but the discussion was the Canadian dollar is going to weaken we're not being viewed as inflation fighters. Uh, the Canadian dollar is going to weaken. We're going to import more inflation. This is going to be, you know, the 1980s all over again. And so Keith had kind of like your, your input on that, because I guess my, my, my perspective, and I'm certainly no expert, but um, my perspective was, yes, everything's going to weaken against the U S dollar, but if every other central bank sort of, slowly pivots dovish it nets out i just don't think canadians are the only one here that are are doing like a soft pivot here with 50 basis points we already talked about the rba in australia there and and i'm sure you've got some comments on the ecb and whatnot so keith i'm kind of curious your your personal thoughts yes i mean you always when you're looking at currency you always have this reference it to the u.s right the u.s dollar uh so instead of doing Europe next, let's let's move over back towards the Americans. Uh, so the Fed is up next week, November the second. I assume that's the Wednesday. That's when they always come out. Uh, so right now the market's expecting seventy-five basis points from these guys, and um, you know that's what they should do. However, if they if they do this soft pivot, and I do not believe that's what's going to happen, by the way. If they do, it's wow. But if they do, um, so they say they only do 50 or they do 75 and say, hey, by the way, we're done. And again, I, I think there's an extremely low chance they do that. You're going to see the Canadian dollar and euro and yeah and all this stuff. It could go up 3% on Wednesday afternoon. I think equity markets will be up six, seven percent. Like it would be one of the. <laughs> I agree. Be, I agree. Sorry, I agree. It'd be one of the the, the biggest like risk on rallies that you know we'll we'll ever see, and um, at the same time, you know, if they just come out and they stay on the path to say, hey, this is where we're going, then it comes down, and and this helps answer the you know the, the Canadian dollar question. If the Fed maintains we're doing 75 and, you know, Powell, he continues to say everything that he's been very consistent with since since the Jackson Hole uh, meetings they had. Uh, now, on a relative basis, the rate differential is going to rise even further. So that creates just an opportunity for Canadian dollar to come down. Absent a, a crisis or a really stressed Canadian economy because of housing, again, I think, you know, if, again, I suggested last week, we get a two-year period with 
minus 1% growth for two years, you know, it'll be pretty bad. However, if everyone is in that, you know, in that bed, you know, we'll struggle through it. But uh, if it's just something like that, then Canadian dollar will do okay, you know, relative to other countries and economies. So Steve can head back to Europe and finish that, you know, the summer of love tour he was doing. Uh, but we go back and let's stick with the U.S., right now unless did you have another comment on that steve or rich no no i think i mean that pretty much answers the question the so so some of the guys that i know they're they're you know they they share that they have contacts you know with with treasury and and the fed and and so forth and the the storyline is a pretty big tug of war going on right now between treasury and the fed as well as you know with inside the Fed as well. So, uh, you know, last week, um, you know, was sort of leaked that, you know, the Fed is going to pivot and turn dovish and stuff like that. And what I'm hearing, like Powell was totally ticked off with this. Um, and he's, he's pretty upset these days. He's, he wants, he doesn't want to be the guy in charge of the Fed when they couldn't control inflation. He wants to be known as, Hey, I broke the back of inflation and, Years from now, you know, we're all talking about them, you know, the, the same high, you know, regardless of this team, you know, as we talked about Volcker, you know, and I'm sure if we go back in real time when he was around, I'm sure it wasn't as nice and pretty as people think it was, you know, 40, 50 years later. Um, however, th- there's a risk here in the currency world that Powell comes out with, you know, guns a blazing. And then, so instead of having this, you know, Wednesday afternoon coming up where, you know, Canadian dollar goes up strongly and then, um, you know, equities go up strong, stuff like that. It, it could be the opposite effect. So I think next week is going to be a pretty big week for financial markets, especially Wednesday afternoon when, when the Fed comes out. What else are you looking at? Um, you know, I think you were watching uh, ECB was out today. Uh, so they're still calling what for for more rate hikes and whatnot. What are you what are you looking at there? So uh, so just again with the U.S. Uh, U.S. had Q3 GDP came out this morning, and the uh, the headline number was it was stronger than the estimate, but the underlying sort of inflation focused data was was weaker. So you push it all together, it was a bit of a you know it was a bit of a wash, and uh, but you know the U.S. economy has suddenly come out of you know that technical recession they're in for the previous two quarters and uh, we'll see now where we where we start going to q4 that's, that's the last thing with, with the americans you need to worry about the europeans came out this morning so they they hiked rates with 75 basis points it was in line with um with what the market was expecting and uh so what was really great though at the ecb meeting uh, in the presser the questions were outstanding I think it was the first four or five reporters. They were like, wow, bang, 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 bang. And, you know, Lagarde was like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> she said, no, let's slow down here, right? They, they, were, they were exceptional this time. So if you want to go back and watch the recording of it, um, maybe they've taken it down already. But it was, it, was, it was a really good meeting today. But the lesson we got from the ECB this morning, uh, and they, they also did a, a bit of this soft pivot. You know, because they changed the wording slightly in their statement. And so the exact words, I don't have them here in front of me, but effectively before they're saying, you know, we'll keep raising rates forever because we're going to be in inflation. Now it's, we're not going to raise them forever. 
but we're going to raise them a little bit more because we're starting to win, which I thought was quite funny because they're thinking right now after two months of raising rates, they've been able to, to calm and you know, tame inflation. And whereas all the other central banks are saying it takes about, you know, 18 months for your rate hikes to have an effect. Uh, Rich, another comment there before I continue? Well, I was going to say, as usual, the ECB takes credit for shit they have no control over. I mean, the, the reality is I'm sure they're only watching the natural gas prices. So for people who may or may not know, natural gas price, natural gas is abundant beyond virtually anything that our wildest dreams. The only reason it's expensive is because of stupid energy policy from Germany and the rest of those idiots who fall follow Greta and natural gas prices in Europe, in the UK, in the Netherlands. So the ICE, the uh, tidal transfer facility, which is in the Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken, and the trading hub, which is in Europe, are down now to 50 US dollars per megawatt hour. All it's to say is they've collapsed. And so I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm giving Keith too much credit this week, but I mean, they're basically probably just watching the natural gas price going, oh, We've done our job. Natural gas prices have collapsed, so we no longer need to worry about inflation. Uh, remember, natural gas is a key input to the German industrial base. The German industrial base is suffering 50, 60% of increase in producer prices year on year. If you collapse the natural gas price, for whatever reason, you affect the producer price index and the producer price index flows into the consumer price index. And so I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm learning from you, Keith, I'm being more cynical as I get a little older. Um, I, I'm just I'm watching the, the ECB get dovish, all of a sudden pivot, whatever you want to call it. And I really I just see it as a direct function of this natural gas price come down. Nothing has changed in Russia. Nothing has changed in, in Ukraine but the natural gas prices is collapsed. And that is a key, key input to the European growth project, the European environmental project, the European everything project. And, and so maybe, yeah, call me cynical. My goodness, am I learning? Am I learning something? Maybe I am, but. Uh, yeah, however, I think, I think you'd want to be known as a skeptic instead of a cynic. <laughs> I don't know if, if, they, if they teach you the difference in, in I'm in not sure schools. I know the difference, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, just stick with the ECB and we'll jump. So very quickly, though, uh, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, the winter from hell that, that's coming for the Europeans, but they're, they're not gas storage is now at, at peak levels almost everywhere. So they're because I know I know we mentioned that a few weeks ago, we said, you know, if, if they do have a mild winter, you know, they'll they'll get through it. You know, they should be able to do it. So I, I think uh, not gas Wait. prices in some of the markets actually went negative at one point a, a few days ago over in Europe. I think that's a great point, though. So just to chime in quickly, like I'm not going to pretend to be a natural gas expert here, but my God, the sentiment on that like trade and view was just so lopsided. Like, I just feel like anytime like sentiment gets to the, like those extremes, like typically the opposite will happen. Absolutely. That's those are tech, that's something called technicals. We all we often watch. We've talked about RSI relative strength indicators. We've talked about oh, the problem with being super negative. The equity market is when everyone is super negative on sentiment, on positioning, on technicals. You can be negative all you want, but there's almost there's only a certain amount of selling. Steve, which is exactly what you're saying. I, I think it's very important that people are very skeptical, is it, <laughs> of of um, of those sentiment. And I think you're you're absolutely right. Oh, no, I'm such a skeptic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I, said, uh, I think you can just apply that to, to really anything. I think it's just like a lesson learned for 
for, for any market participant. I mean, we've certainly had some, some humble, humble, eaten some humble pie this year, some of our calls and whatnot, never, never get everything right. But yeah, I just like, you know, one of my, my buddy, uh, Jared Dillion there always calls it. He says, there's too many a-holes in the trade, right? Like, and everyone's lopsided natural gas or everyone was on the uranium trade earlier. And it's just like, it always tends to go. And then we had, you know, we had Bitcoin at, at what, third you know q3 of last year when everyone and their and their grandma's long bitcoin it's like this just it always tends to be like that sentiment indicator top um but similarly bought, now everybody's I convinced bought, uh, it's over yeah. <laughs> go ahead sorry I, Keith. I bought yeah i bought bitcoin at sixty six thousand. no you didn't no, you even didn't. know you don't even know how to buy it <laughs> but no but now now that everybody's convinced bitcoin is over you know, you get Rishi Sunak, Sunak, who's now the he's the cheerleader number one of of like uh, central bank digital currencies, which God help me will be the end of the liberal democracies as we know it. Uh, you know, he's a cheerleader. Everybody's convinced Bitcoin's over, and lo and behold, it just is just middling around nineteen thousand. Similarly, everyone was convinced that natural gas was going to go to the moon. Lo and behold, just so everybody understands, there's plenty of natural gas in the world. There's absolutely no reason. It should be whatever it was at, you know, it's something like $200 US per, uh, you know, per megawatt hour. That's ridiculous. We understand where it is. We understand how to get it. And that's for Europe, by the way. So everyone's not. For, excuse me, excuse for me, the sorry, Europeans. sorry. Yeah. Sorry, excuse me. That's right. And, oh, it, oh it, no. So, I mean, the, the one, the one argument that you, you tend to see quite popularly online. And again, we'll see. I mean, I don't have a strong opinion on this because, like I said, I'm not going to pretend to be a, an energy no, expert. No, neither am I, but. Yeah, but like, yeah, everyone it. is like, ah, you know, they, they think inflation's coming down, it's decelerating, but just wait until, you know, Europe, uh, you know, winter in Europe and, 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 and the oil shortages. And so I just see like that, that, that mindset or that view is very, very overplayed, but. but Steve, you might be right in the sense that Europe may be squeezed. Let's say winter is horrible. It's very cold. There's a significant need for natural gas. That doesn't change the fact that there is an incredible amount of this particular natural resource. And if traders like Cargill or a bunch of other monkeys who live in Switzerland, who trade these commodities professionally, understand where they can get this arbitrage opportunity, they will move heaven and earth to exploit that. It will bring down the price, they will collect their bonus, and the world will move on. And that is, the, frankly, the beauty of capitalism. You know, you supply will meet demands wherever you can, wherever it can, excuse me. And, and this is, people don't understand, like something that people just don't understand. Commodities like fossil fuels should not be expensive relative to GDP, relative to humans' disposable income. What is making these commodities expensive? is stupid green energy policy. That's the answer. We've talked about this for six months, so I will spare you guys, but we've talked about this almost right for six or nine months. We've talked about this. This is a, an acute stupidity factor that is affecting the price of these commodities. And hopefully we're seeing the end of it. Um, I know I get excited about the green. Oh, just before policy. the YouTube comments. <laughs> Please don't beat up. me up, Keith. <laughs> yeah, just before the YouTube comments rip us apart. When we say... When we say Europe might get by this winter, we don't mean they're going to prosper. I mean, right. they're going to get by. And so, yeah. Muddling I mean, honestly, is not thriving. Yes. The rhetoric was that people were going to be shriv uh, shivering and, and dying of starvation on the streets. And, I, you know, I, 
I think it's probably uh, it's probably not that bad. Well, a couple things. Uh, I'm just trying to unpack everything Rich said. Oh, come on. You agree with me. Don't be shy. Uh, I know, but just to paraphrase, uh, seriously, uh, what, what Rich just said was that, you know, capitalism, you know, it's, it's price discovery. That's, that's the way the world works. And it's, it works everywhere in the world except for one place, and that's the <laughs> economic fantasy land called Europe. Uh, so let's not confuse, you know, the little swing and enthusiasm coming from the two young fellas here. My, uh, you know, my long-term target for Euro is still zero. I, I think it goes to zero. That, that's where it's headed. So one more comment from the ECB this morning, which, which is, again, it's just outstanding. So, you know, again, we like to talk about everything. Risk around the world has been synchronized so that the Japanese, they're, they're in trouble Canadians are in trouble, the, the, the Brits are in trouble, um, and then you have the, the Europeans, of course. But the main challenge that the Europeans have is that they're raising interest rates to bring down inflation, and they're also trying to do QE to protect their bond market on the long end, which is really Italy. But they're raising rates aggressively. You know, they've, they've, they've gone from zero to 200 basis points very quickly. At the same time today, they, they softly admitted this. You, you could barely, you, you got to read it to find it. And they don't even sign a number to it. Like that's how critical, that's how important it is. Um, but basically, they're, they're, they shared with us that economic activity likely slowed significantly in Q3. It's going to slow again in Q4 and again in Q1. So we're looking at nine months, maybe seven, maybe 12, of where now the ECB is, is openly admitting, yeah, yeah we're headed for, for a, a pretty good downturn coming up. And um, again, I don't know how we, how we reconcile that. I think it will help with the whole inflation story, but I know we're talking about sentiment, you know, market swinging, you know, this way and that way and whatnot. Uh, but guys, whereas if we have a recession of some sort, we run the trouble here in Canada, we, we do have that energy production component. All of a sudden, Alberta and Newfoundland is, is everyone's best friend here in Canada. Uh, I don't know what Europe has. I, I really don't. But what they, they don't have is a consolidated federal debt market. And I, I think they are headed for some trouble there, especially, uh, you know, for the Italians coming up. So if you have a chance, go through, uh, like, watch, watch the video for the, for, the Europe, for the ECB presser today, which, which was really great. And uh, to make it better, go to their notes that they put on the website. And you can't even see any numbers. Like, like you know, if they have, if say it's a, a, a 2,000 page essay, I mean, this is a central bank. It's a number world. Rich, you would be shocked at how many numbers you see in this essay that they put out there. It's, you ready for it? It's fiction. That's what it is. Well, I mean, what, one thing that Europe does have um, is a cratering currency. And for an economy that is so dependent on exports, remember before this energy fiasco, um, Europe's current account balance was about 3% of GDP, which is quite strong. A uh, country like Germany, who is dependent on exports, um, was 6 or 7%. Even Italy, who has in the past been quite the basket case, had a strong current account balance for the first time in a generation. Same with Spain and the first time in a generation. 
we know smaller countries like Portugal and the rest, they survive on exports, right? And so one thing that I've noticed on my side when I look at um, the, the key missing ingredient to being really positive risk assets, which is earnings. So earnings track, um, earnings track GDP growth um, or economic growth and earnings expectations can, opt- and can often be swayed significantly by currency. So you have to think about global analysts. There's thousands of them. They're all sort of trying to figure out what individual companies there are. There might be, let's say, 10 or 15,000 publicly traded companies in the world. Let's say roughly 50% of them are in the U.S., you know, another 30, 10% or whatever, 30, you know, 10% in Japan, 20% in Europe. And you're seeing the global earnings revisions ratios. So the analyst expectations of earnings going up versus the earnings going down in Europe stay positive. And that's a function of the fact that they are, um, as a function of the fact that the euro continues to crater. So last week you mentioned, Keith, that the export data from Japan was actually really okay. Um, and if you look at the sentiment data for the business sentiment data from the, from Japan, it's actually starting to improve. It's not a surprise, right? They are an export economy. Um, they have a currency that's depreciated by 40%. If you can get your widget from Japan versus China, you'll do it. If you can get your widget from Europe versus China, you'll do it. And so I, one thing I find really fascinating is in fact, that the earnings revisions ratios out of Europe continue to stay positive, um, in fact, are rising, um, which is, you know, shocking. I know Keith hates Europe, but there are strong companies. And, and whereas in the U.S. is the opposite. You've got companies that are valued in USD um, that are selling products in foreign currencies. So if you think of Apple, you've got, let's say I'm making this number up, but let's say 50% or 40% of their revenue comes from outside of the United States. Well, if your currency has gone up by 20%, it means your foreign currency sales, forgive the numbers, have gone down, let's say, by 20%. And so you're seeing a significant derating in these earnings revisions in the U.S., in China, because it's pegged to the U.S. Uh, US dollar. Um, and, and I think that that's just like a, something we haven't really talked about, which is the earnings quotient. And maybe we'll talk about that next week. But that's the, that's the bit I'm waiting for as far as being positive risk assets. But the market doesn't care, right? The market's up. It's bounced off the 200-week moving average. We didn't talk about this week. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. But those technicals are really fascinating. Yeah, I think we're it's a good place to wrap it up. We're, we 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 spent so much time making fun of Tiff Macklem that <laughs> that we didn't get uh, we didn't get to a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, you know, obviously lots happening in China, China U.S. relationships in particular. Oh yeah, we forgot about China. Uh, so Sorry. maybe we'll touch on that next week. Uh, but but huge huge uh, yeah, events happening over there. Um, obviously we've got the fed coming out with their rate hike announcement next week. So we'll have some coverage on that for the loony hours episode next week. Um, you know, just and obviously recap of us GDP, uh, as well. So, but yeah, we want to thank everyone. The loony hour event in Toronto, December 1st at the hockey hall of fame officially sold out. Uh, we did it in less than a week. Uh, which was was fantastic. We really, really appreciate your support. I think it took us like three weeks to sell Vancouver or something. You know, our first event, uh, which which turned out to be a uh, you know a, a really good time. But uh, to to do Toronto in you know 
less than a week when, when none of us live or are from there um, is definitely very humbling. So we, we really appreciate the support. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So, I mean, there's been people that have asked us about, you know, waiting lists, if tickets come available, um, just, just email us. If, if somebody, you know, does eventually, you know, reach out and say, Hey, listen, you know, we can't make the event. Can you refund our tickets? Uh, you know, we're happy to issue a refund and, and give somebody, give your ticket up to somebody on the wait list. So um, other than that, like, uh, as always appreciate your support. All we ask that you share this episode with at least one family or friend member help us continue to build the Looney Hour community and we'll see you next week.